Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Buongiorno. Not too bad, thank you. <laughs> we are great. Oh, some people are better <laughs> than us. Come stay, Oggi. It's so good. We're, so for everyone who doesn't know, we're in Milan at the moment podcasting with these two chicks and uh, it's 30-odd degrees today. We're in shorts and T-shirts after three weeks oh. of Icelandic cold so yeah it's it's fantastic we're living the dream yeah how about you two? Oh, well oh. yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, yeah. that good ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep yeah. yeah yeah anyway <laughs> what are we drinking <laughs> well for us because it's only quarter past nine in the morning here we're mm. having a cafe sporto which uh we found out this morning is how to ask for uh, mm. takeaway coffee because we're in a little Airbnb. Cute as. How about you two? I'm having a Cocchiziaro, which is uh, seems the one I ask for every time when we're in Europe. So surprise, surprise, Cocchiziaro. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, being the only one trying to keep the uh, game going, I am not on wine. No, surprise, surprise. But I am drinking a Whitley Neal handcrafted raspberry gin which was given to me for I think the hen's night someone gave me that and tonic with ice so that's nice. what I'm drinking it does look nice I've seen you lift it up it looks looks like a long drink mm. yes it looks good yeah. refreshing oh. looks refreshing going back to how we are I'm fine obviously just been working but today I was up at 5 30 in the morning because oh what's the man that I live with's name Tony Tony had to go to Malaysia for work. Oh, I'm tired. Malaysia. Um, yeah, he's gone to Malaysia for work and so I had to drop him at the airport. Yeah, so I was up very early this morning and then I had to finish my story. So I had a couple of hours uh, while mum was asleep. Then I took mum home Then I came back here and then my nephew and I have been demolishing half of the bathroom and getting it ready so I can put tiles back on where I've just taken them out because I took the old bath out and we're putting a freestanding bath in, which was the wedding present. So I'm a bit on the uh, cream cracker side, if I'm honest. Um, Swan is already yawning, but that's how I feel on the inside. Yeah. I can imagine. Whilst whilst you were saying that, I was thinking, my God, she's done all of that and it's only 20 <laughs> past nine. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Past five, <laughs> it's it's not. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. 20 past five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm happy to. Oh, sorry. Who are we? I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are. Trial, trial by wine. <laughs> Beautiful. Is this our first international episode? I think it is, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yes. It yes. is. Just for our listeners. It in, is. In case I can't adjust for it, there is a slight delay between Italy, the boys and us. <laughs> Swanee is a long way away from me, but somehow Malcolm Turnbull's in, internet is holding up on our end. So um, we'll just, I'll crack on because I've got a story for you both. Excellent. Okay. Oh, fancy. Do tell. I know it's been a long time since we recorded, so uh, cast your minds back. And the last time I did a story, I think we were all a bit depressed by the end of Clarky and my stories. They were, mine was a werewolf story, and then it turned out just to be a real psycho killer, especially killed children. So I'm following, though, the cryptid theme again. And so as I was researching cryptids for the past two shows, I came across this following story, which, to be clear, is about a creature that is very much on the folklore side of the fence, not a real cryptid. But this story caught my eye and I couldn't believe I didn't already know more about it. My sources are abc.net.au, Real Crime, The Trials of the Vampire, which is a podcast by Adam Shand, which is a nine-part series on this story, and I'll admit I didn't actually listen to all of them. Nine parts. Yeah, it's very detailed. It's quite long and I didn't have all that time. Uh, But it did help fill in some blanks um, around the story. Also, nzherald.co.nz, theage.com.au and mamamia.com.au. Okay. It's quite local. It is a very local crime. 
Yes, well, there you go. especially to myself. Oh, yes. well spotted, Swanee. Literally, well, not literally, that's a bit of a, a stretch. Mm. I have no in my idea backyard. what it's going to be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst vampires are not actually cryptids, which is weird given werewolves seem to make the cut, but I guess it's important to note that true cryptids tend to be more along the lines of creatures that have been considered extinct or are impossible like the Yowie, uh, but persist in the human psyche. Having said that, this story is about a self-confessed vampire. Oh. But it may not go the way you expect. Oh, no. So, without further ado, Shane Maurice Murray Chartres Abbott was born in Brisbane on the 9th of October, 1974. Uh, who, sorry? Oh, no. Uh, clearly Clarkie knows who I'm talking about. Shane was born yes, in, so his name was, sorry, back to your question, Swanee, Shane Maurice Murray Chartres Abbott. It's spelt Abbott, but he said it, he pronounced it himself as Abbott. He spelt Abbott, yeah. And so that I'm going with how he pronounced his own name. But his father, I think, called himself Chartres Abbott. They, they had all the fancy names. He came from a long line of truth stretchers, but I'll get on to oh, it. As I said, what national, what was their background? Well, they were Australian, <laughs> and but somewhere along the line, the grandfather, I think, liked the name of there's a Chartres building in Collins Street. So he oh. decided that it was a good name and he's going to take that, and I think Chartres. their real name was Abbott. So he called himself Chartres Abbott and then it was Chartres Abbot, Chartres Abbot, and then uh, oh my word! Shane I wondered if they might have had some like something. I was getting like a Caribbean something with the the Maurice no. and whatever else. No, nothing that. They oh just, no, no, they just no. playing fancy. No, no, that's right. No. So Shane, Shane Morris Abbott. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Shane Abbott is quite different to the Shane Shane Morris Murray Abbott. Murray, if you don't mind. Yeah. Chateus Abbott. Chateau Abbott. Uh, so Shane was born a city boy in Brisbane to mum Nancy and an ageing dad, William Francis, otherwise known as Frank Jr., who was nearly 60 when Shane came into the world. William, a.k.a. Frank Jr., was a man of his time, hard drinking but youthful looking and judging by the fact that he had nine kids to three women, let's assume pretty virile. An enterprising man whose father, whose name was also Francis, had taken on the name Chartres-Abot and had travelled around being a spiritual healer, reading tarot cards and other weird occult stuff that he could sell to people who were into that sort of thing. Frank Jr. ran... Also known as Truth Stretcher, as you alluded Total to Total Truth earlier. Stretcher, yeah. That's why your name doesn't really work, does it? You can't be just called Frank if that's kind of going to be your... <laughs> no. Yeah, you need a stage right. name. Frank Jr. Frank Jr. Frank Jr., yeah. He ran an introduction agency next to a pool hall in Roma Street in Brisbane. Classy. Although many described it as a thinly veiled brothel, a claim supported by reports his children would give later that they were abused by the clients. Oh. Three of Shane's siblings are deceased, reportedly through disease, drug use and murder. Two living siblings are in jail. Two are homeless. One lives in a car near Bendigo apparently and another works in a brothel in Melbourne. So they've all grown up and done very well oh, for themselves. Proud parents. <laughs> In 1974. What do you wanted to be when you grow up? I want to live in a car just outside of Bendigo. Mm, mm. I think he's got mental health issues. Three are dead, did you say? Two. Yeah, three are deceased. That's right. Well. Bad odds. It is, isn't it? I mean, it's not nice, but still. Yeah. 1974. William Chartres Abbott left his second wife for Nancy Bowen, a client of the agency. And they moved to Nimbin in northern New South Wales to be some hippies. It's funny, I was just talking about Nimbin actually earlier. Yes. To be some hippies. To be hippies, sorry, yeah. Um, to do some hippieing stuff. They then moved to a farm near Lismore, which is also pretty hippieish. Correct. So the whole area is. Yeah, yeah that's where my, that's where my, great, that's where my uncle was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So childhood photos of the children are reminiscent of those in our photo albums, sun-kissed kids, riding bikes, surrounded by animals, pets on the farm, family, sun and space. Idyllic, really. Shane was described by his mother as a sweet, caring and loving person. He taught his sister to play chess and was a devout Christian. However, at the age of seven, his parents broke up and he and his sister Joanne spent the next 10 years between the Gold Coast, where his mother had moved to, and his father's various houses around New South Wales. 
I can't imagine they would have been Christian if they'd gone to Thimbin. Most people there are kind of, you know, a bit I don't know that the whole family religious. were Christian. It was just like oh. Shane really got he into was. it. He was. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And he was apparently he was quite a good godbotherer. Like he was a real churchgoer. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he was wow. really into it. When Shane was around 25, he got married, had a baby and moved to Melbourne. Sorry, they were actually in Sydney to start with. I think I've yeah. made that all a bit of a mess. So he, he meets his girl, his, his later wife. They are in Sydney. They have a baby. Then they move to Melbourne. And they lived for a time with his half-sister in the Outer West, a.k.a. my hood. To make money, his wife worked in the sex industry, initially at the top of the town brothel off King Street and has more recently been working in another brothel in Coburg. They'd been working in the industry in Sydney also, and I read that Shane had been in trouble with the law there, but it was nothing major. Shane tried to bring in the bucks for a time. He worked in sales, but in 2000, he was arrested for fraudulently collecting money for the Sally Army, and later that year, his marriage broke up, falling into the- When you say the Sally Army, do you mean Salvation Army? Yeah. Gotcha. Falling into the darker pursuits of Melbourne- he rejected Christianity, having discovered Satanism and the occult. And remember, his grandfather was a, an occult peddler, right? So there's, there's a bit of this sort of theme that's been running through the family that, you know, like it was sort of a thing that, that they were into. But they, like, And they were hippies in Nimbin and I'm sure they were having crystals and some, uh, what do they call them, dream catchers and all that shit. So, you know, it's not really that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to be into crystals and not so much dream catches, but all that other shit. You know, I used to read the tarot and all that. So I'm not. All that other shit. I ain't judging. So I just grew out of it. Yeah. He hated city life, wanting to make enough money to get back to out to clean living in the countryside. Still, money was a problem. And having seen how much Dosh, his wife, was making in the sex industry, and in the words of Paul from a chorus line, he said, I could do that. And thus began his career as a male escort. He also got a new girlfriend, Kathleen, who was a trainee nurse, and they moved to Reza, Reservoir. Sorry, Reservoir. The locals what? say Reservoir. You and I, Carla, would call it Reservoir. Yeah. Why do they call the, it Reservoir? I don't know. They just do. And if you, it's just Reservoir. And if you, just reservoir. And if you say it's Reservoir to them, they'll cut you. So they say it's not a reservoir. They won't know, where, they won't know where you're talking about. Yeah, just say reza, it's safer. So the locals thought he was a clean-cut night owl, a little weird for wearing a long black coat with pinstripe lining, and uh, Swanee, you might recall my Albata Ferretti coat. I was, I was <laughs> thinking exactly that. And, in fact, I have two of them oh, and wow. I wore them an awful lot. In fact, I think I have to get one of them relined as a result. But I, I kind of uh, don't have a problem yeah, with a long black like coat a, with pinstripe lining. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knew? Oh, my sister said I was more like the bloke in the Matrix with my coat, actually. <gasps> Notwithstanding yeah. Melbourne winters, he'd even wear it in summer. But otherwise, he was fairly unremarkable. To be honest, when you look at photos of him, he, he's there's something about him that reminds me of Tom Cruise in that sort of risky business yeah. era. Oh. You know, he's just got short, sandy brown hair. He often is wearing, you know, Ray Ban type glasses. Like he just, he's it, it's just like an everyman. He's he's yeah. not unattractive, but he's not super attractive. But there's just he's got that vibe. Do you, you know what I'm talking about, Clarky? I do. I remember him being splashed all over the front page of the Herald Sun. Mm. He does have that Tom Cruise kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah. And it was, look. It, this was, most of the story is in the early, early 2000s. So it's, it's, it was sort of, you know, I suppose trendy. Anyway, they didn't know, the neighbours didn't know he was a high end escort servicing all genders, working out of Cloud Nine escorts in Baldwin. Like his dad, Shane had stamina and serviced around 12 clients per week. He was so sought after that some would even fly in from interstate and hire him. He was charging $300 an hour, or if you wanted him for the night, he'd give you a good flat fee of $1,000. But I also read in another source that it was about 2000 bucks a night, but a lot of that went to the agency. That's a pretty good salary, though, isn't it? No, he it? was earning pretty good money, yeah. Decent coin. Decent coin. Well, you know. Yeah. Decent coin. He yeah. works hard for the money. So hard for honey. That's right. His trade name was Simon and it was alleged that he would not only put out in the more vanilla ways, but he also catered to people with a penchant for kink. He was said to have a kit bag including dildos, condoms, whips, ropes and handcuffs. The usual. Specialising in kink made his work somewhat dangerous as he'd never know whether a client was really safe or likely to go too far, which is fair enough. I think that's a considerable danger in the field. Whilst he had a particular persona for his work, 
Shane would tell people close to him that he was just earning enough so that he and Kathleen could get out to the country. So for him, it was a job. You know, it was just a means to make money. Which I think it often is. Oh, absolutely. But he wasn't, I guess what I I'm trying to say is. because I have a passion for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I knew, I used to teach a girl who worked in a brothel and she swore to me that she did it because she just really enjoyed sex. But I think she was the exception to the rule yeah. if that was true. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And, mm. no, she abs- and she would stop uh, seeing some of her clients when they became too emotionally attached to her. She wasn't into it for that. She was just the definition of a hornbag. Yeah. She just loved it. <laughs> she did. She, well, that was Fair what enough. she told yeah. me anyway. Yeah. Monetizing her hornbag. Yeah, exactly. Make it. May as well. Penny, which is not her real name and one of several I've heard her referred to, I've heard her called Jenny and Chi and various others. She. Yeah, she was a friend of Shane's and also worked in the sex industry. She'd known Shane for about a year and had hired him for sex many times. Apparently, both Penny and Shane liked to hire other sex workers in their time off. And honestly, I'm amazed they had much time, all that time. <laughs> That's so for, weird. I know, yeah. more resignations outside of his working hours and time spent with Kathleen. But, you know, there you go. As I say, like his father, he had uh, stamina. Penny first hired Maybe Shane. Maybe that's like continual learning. You know how if you're a, an accountant or a lawyer, you need to um, go and do, continuous learning. Continuous pro- uh, professional development, oh, that's it. Professional development. Yeah, I want to know what others are doing in my field. Mm. Oh, this is actually just for work, yeah. Share our tricks. Yeah, that's right. I claim it as a tax deduction. Well, I think in the case of, well, in, in some accounts I've heard that Shane and Penny kind of had feelings for one another. You know, he was with Kathleen. Um, Kathleen later had a child with him, so I, I, who knows, right? But anyway, Penny first hired Shane in around mid-July in 2001 and that this continued over time. Initially they'd meet at her home in Richmond and then they switched it up, meeting in hotels for sexy times. According to Penny, over times things also got a bit kinkier. Shane would tie her up and smother her face with a pillow. Like many scenes out of Fifty Shades mm. of Grey, which frankly is so problematic, but anyway. But if nothing else, this story should make people really consider how far they want to go. He would say, it's good, isn't it? They continued to explore BDSM together and during these sessions, Shane told Penny he was an ancient vampire, older than Melbourne. And I reckon he'd read too many Anne Rice novels and Interview with a Vampire had been released in 94, so I think he was just styling himself on that. Of course, he stayed mm. young by drinking blood and showed her how to drink blood from someone's arm and she could become a vampire if she'd like to. Penny didn't seem bothered by any of this, probably because it was role play and part of his persona as an escort. So they'd been at it for just over a year when Penny called Shane for a meet-up. She'd been feeling horny, her words, not mine. So they agreed, <laughs> truly, so they agreed to meet. It's a great. Oh, feeling horny. Yep, yeah, well, I was feeling horny, so I gave Shane a call. They agreed to meet around midnight at the Hotel Seville in South Rat Yarra, and apparently when she rang the escort agency, she asked for someone who was Australian, sort of sandy block. She described Shane without asking for Shane or Simon. It's sort of significant. We'll get to that in a sec. So it sounds like she was booking him through the agency. She wasn't just ringing him up out of the blue and saying, you know, let's hook up. When Shane got there, apparently there was another Thai guy there with Penny and that was all a bit weird and he wasn't sure whether he should go up to the room because she hadn't said he was going to be there. And this is all the account of Shane's driver. So he had a couple of guys who would drive him around who they weren't bodyguards as such but because the work could be dangerous I think he felt that he needed someone else around just to make sure that they knew where he was and they'd pick him up after his work and you know whatever he's doing and he'd often talk to them so they were quite good intel into the insights of Shane because he wouldn't talk to them about the ins and outs no pun intended, of what he was doing on his job. But <laughs> but he but he would talk to them enough that they got a sense of him. Okay. So, so was that balls deep or just partially balls deep? <laughs> no, he didn't he didn't kiss and tell. He was quite polite. <laughs> so but there was so there was this guy there and from what I heard Adam Shand was talking about, you know, this man was a bit unsettling, you know, so we weren't sure whether he was threatening. Penny seemed frightened of him. The Thai man? The Thai guy, yeah. Penny was Thai also. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. So we weren't really sure, you know, it was all a bit weird. But anyway, Shane gets there. They drank some wine. They had to borrow the hotel bottle opener, one of those with the corkscrew a blade and, the, you know, the cap top thing. So it's a waiter, like a wait, waiter's friend, I think they're called, or a wine key. Yeah. And it was never yeah. found again. And it was, I couldn't believe this, it was the only one that the hotel had. <laughs> so it was noticed and it went missing what? after this. Yes. And apparently, I did get a giggle out of this. They had to ring down and ask for this bottle opener. And the guy went up and gave it to them and then took it back because it's the only one they had. And this is like two in the morning or something. And then after they drank that bottle of wine, they needed it again. And the guy said, look, just hang on to it, right? And so then the next morning when the manager, well, next day when the manager was around, he was looking for the bottle opener, which had been sent up to that room. And Apparently Penny had, right. Penny was remarked to have said something like, oh, I think we'll stay in a better hotel next time. <laughs> the account is a bit mixed between various, you know, it's like Penny's version of events and Shane's version of events. So they definitely did a little bit of chatting for a lot of the time. I'm pretty sure they had, well, I think they had sex and that's it's, it's sort of weird that I'm saying I think they had sex, but Penny fell asleep and Shane left and that was at about 5 o'clock in the morning. He later said that she hadn't been herself saying, that he felt she was caught up in some sort of, or she said she was caught up in some sort of debt and it was something to do with the casino and something to do with some Thai people and I think that is the connection to the sort of strange man from earlier. And at one point in the evening she said to Shane, look, you really shouldn't be here, you should go. And he said, why? And she said, because you're being set up. Someone's going to come here tonight and they're going to film a snuff film and you're going to be the lead actor and so the feature yeah well basically oh my god yeah so basically they're gonna someone's gonna force you to do this and then you'll be killed by the end of it right but he didn't really take it seriously he thought she was just being weird and just a bit over dramatic or you know because she was in a bit of a strange mood whatever so he spoke to his girlfriend after 5 a.m and she could tell that he'd moved on. He was somewhere with background noise. She, she didn't think it was a TV. And apparently he'd gone to another club or another bar or something. And then he, and then he went home at about 5.30 and he went straight to bed and he was wearing a long sleeve T-shirt and parachute pants. And she said that wasn't unusual because the house was freezing cold in Reza. But also I think it's important to note that he didn't change or shower. So, you know, he was just literally in what he'd been wearing when he got home. The next morning the duty manager went up to the room because he'd rung them a few times to see because he thought maybe they checked out or just left without him realising. And he opened the door with the master key and he saw that there were no sheets on the double bed I think there was a bit of blood on the floor and he went into the bathroom to find Penny unconscious in the fetal position, naked in the shower. She was alive, but she had a lot of blood oozing from her mouth. She had bite marks on her legs, strangulation marks on her neck. She'd been raped anally and vaginally and the blood around her mouth was caused by a wound to her tongue which had either been bitten, torn or cut with around oh. five centimetres of the tongue oh. having been removed. No, oh, 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 yuck. Yeah. Now, Gross. that's why I talked about the bottle opener, right? Oh. Because the bottle opener had a small blade on it. And it was oh, never God, I can't. No, 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 that's, that's the worst of it. That is the worst of it. All I was saying was <sighs> the bottle opener was never followed up, I don't think. Anyway, so Penny told the police she had no recollection of the attack, but given the last person she'd seen was Shane, he must have attacked her. Now, I also read in certain accounts, and this is where I'm saying that there's quite different accounts of what happened, that on that night she said that he basically had raped her anally while she was aware of it. But it was sort of a in this BDSM thing, like he'd tied her up and he'd pushed her down on the bed, pushed her face into the bed and raped her and she said she'd scared, she wasn't expecting him to do that. But then I also had another account where she doesn't remember anything. She just woke up, you know, in this state. And I wasn't really sure how she got there, but she was pretty sure maybe Shane had done it because he was the last person she'd seen. So then Shane was arrested and interviewed by the police. They found her mobile in his black kit bag, the one with the dildos, etc. and her blood was on his jacket. His, his, what do they call them, a prostitute starter kit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pick one up at Kmart yeah. and it comes with the whips and the dildos and everything. Yeah, that's right. You just you only have to replace the condoms. Oh, anyway, don't get me started on dildos. <laughs> Just communal dildo. Just, okay. No, no, no. The idea of a communal dildo. Anyway. 
Oh, sorry, no. There's no amount of cleaning solutions. Are you talking about Shane now? I'm talking about him taking that around to various people. Like, no, thank you. Oh, I'm you. sure he had really great, you know, hygiene. hygiene at home. He had like, you know, in the Wipes. in the bar in the barbers, they've got that blue uh, liquid that they put the brushes oh, in. He's yeah. got a massive blue yes. filled bar. Yeah. That <laughs> just about like UV sanitizer. Yeah, yeah. That's the sort of stuff that just turns makes me gross gross out. Anyway, so now Shane was charged with two counts of rape. He said that the evidence on his jacket and the phone were planted by the police. That he had never attacked her. That none of this, like this, must someone else must have attacked her after he'd left the room because none of this had happened when he was there. He was just a lover lover. He was just a lover lover, yeah. So, yes, he was uh, charged with two counts of rape, one count of intentionally causing serious injury and one of recklessly causing serious injury, which, as I said, he denied. The case went to trial in 2003. Now, at the time, to your point, Clarkey, there was a series of salacious headlines all about this vampire gigolo. Uh, and if you look at it, it's all yeah. Melbourne's vampire gigolo, rapes women. You know, like, it's just ridiculous. He played. I've never heard of it, but I guess I wasn't in the country. I think it was a we Melbourne thing. You had, to, you had to be there. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, <laughs> you're was. right. You weren't here. At, so, no, I wasn't here either. No, you weren't. But somehow I did sort of know about this. Anyway, he, probably because you were looking at Melbourne's um, news. Media. It's like me, I've been looking was, at yeah. Sydney stuff. I wouldn't look at stuff. Yeah. 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 So he pled yeah. not guilty on all accounts and was described by everyone as easygoing and really lovely. His lawyer, Alan Hands, slammed the case. That's those Italians on a moped going past. What was that? I think it was <laughs> some traffic going past the boys. Oh. His lawyer, Alan Hans, slammed the case against the gigolo as a fantasy. The Crown case is a story worthy of Bram Stoker and a mystery worthy of Agatha Christie. But both of these works were of fiction, and that is what their case is. <clears throat> Not to be outdone by the crazy prosecution theory, though, his defence maintained the story of the snuff movie and that another man attacked her after Shane had left the hotel. Which, to be fair, when you look at the evidence, which the police didn't really, it's quite possible that Penny was attacked by someone else. I know there was a fire escape door that wasn't locked. Like there were, there was opportunity for someone else to have been there. My client was being groomed to appear in one movie. At the end of it, he would be killed. Shane also told many people, including the police and others, that he was going to blow the roof off police and political corruption. And by the end of his trial on day four, he was ready to take the stand. However, Shane was afraid for his life. He told uh, his counsellor, Sandra Gibson, that the police at the trial were watching him and that he was sure the police were going to kill him before he could speak out. On the morning of the fifth day of the trial, while Shane, his now pregnant girlfriend, Kathleen, and her father were get ready, getting ready to go to court, they were in the front garden of their Reza house when two men approached. One assaulted Ka uh, Kathleen and her father, while the other approached Shane and shot him twice, once in the chest oh and the second shot hit his neck. Shane bled to death Ooh. on his driveway while the two assailants ran away on foot. Ooh. Yeah. Bloody Dun, dun, yeah, dun. Yeah, so back in court, the whole proceeding fell apart, obviously, because, you know, the guy who's on trial has just been murdered. Can't really charge him. No. Who wanted him gone? That's the big question, isn't it? So Judge Bill White discharged the jury and referred the members to counselling, probably EAP, or maybe it was CAP as it was the Court Assistance Program. It has been a difficult trial and it's been a difficult trial for all parties, including myself, Judge White oh. said. Poor Judge White. He went on to say, <laughs> I thought it was a weird quote. He went on to yeah. say more profound things like, though it is a tragic thing that this sort of thing can occur in our state, it appears that it has. You don't say, <laughs> Judge White. Judge White's not the best judge, is he? <laughs> I think he's a bit shocked, perhaps. Tracy, a booking agent at Shane's place of employment, Cloud Nine Escorts, said the whole story of Shane being a vampire and sadomasochistic was rubbish. Quite frankly, what he was was a normal, outgoing, friendly young man who enjoyed life's experiences, she said. She went on to say he was a consummate professional who was popular with all of his clients. He'd been looking forward to getting off the rape charges. He denied it and was looking forward to getting back to his normal life. I don't know who would want him dead. So who did want Shane dead? Mm. Well, who indeed? Glad we, glad we asked. <laughs> I am glad. Well, Carla did ask before, sort of. <laughs> 
Who's he pissed off? (laughs) Shane was convinced the police were out to get him, but Penny's ex, Mark Perry, what is it? Wake up to yourself, Perry. Yeah. (laughs) So Penny's ex, Mark Perry, was also a suspect. He'd been heard saying he was going to get Shane for what he'd done to Penny. This was reported to Crime Stoppers by someone who'd witnessed it, but of course it was never followed up. Mark Perry was a drug dealer connected to various gangland criminals, and when he got wind that he was a suspect, he did a runner, or rather, went on the lam. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Poor lamb. In 2005, a prisoner who was serving a life sentence for murder and whose name is not reported anywhere for legal reasons but is a known hitman with the fake name Jack Price or Mr Gregory, Indicated to police he knew something about the vampire killing. He took his time giving details, though, waiting till the police were gagging for some intel. A year later, he told police that he had killed Shane for Mark Perry as a favour, which was very unlikely in terms of the favour bit. You don't usually kill someone for a favour, especially when you're a professional hitman. He also said that a serving and past policeman were aware of the intention to kill Shane as he was a regular drinking buddy of David Waters, who had left the force on stress after being investigated on unrelated matters of corruption, and told him and Sergeant Peter Layla about it in a pub in Carlton. Then he asked if they could give him a bit of a hand. He needed Shane's address, as it would be pretty difficult to shoot him on the street outside the courts. He'd asked around, but no one was able to help him. And, of course, Shane probably didn't have Simon the 200-year-old vampire gigolo on his white pages listing. Jack (laughs) said that Peter Layla gave him the address through Waters. He then told him that to throw the police off the scent, he would go into a police station after the hit and let himself be arrested on some outstanding driving offences. Now, whether this was all discussed as conjecture, but one fact we do know is that he did hand himself into the Paran police station on the day of Shane's murder, and his arresting officer was one Sergeant Peter Layla. This revelation then sparked a new investigation to look into police corruption, which was called Operation Briars, which would go on to cost the taxpayers $30 million. Now, this is all connected to the underbelly, to underbelly. And if you've not seen the first series of this, I highly recommend it. Swanee, if you haven't watched it, a little bit violent, but it's all set in Melbourne and it's all basically in everywhere I grew up. It's got our church in it. It's, it's, it's oh, wow. Queen's Park, Cross Keys mm. down at Strathmore, yeah. Every very, Strathmore, very local. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in these gangland wars, various people um, who were connected to the illicit drug industry were being gunned down at a fairly rapid pace, and I can't remember the number, but something like 30 or something of them over time, and there were some corrupt police also involved. The two policemen who I just named were investigated, but there was insufficient evidence to link them to anything. They didn't seem to be able to pinpoint who had leaked Shane's address, but someone certainly had. So I remember reading that on for the day, I think it was like day four or day three, the defence counsel had actually put a motion in to have Shane's address withdrawn from the records to avoid it being leaked. But by then, obviously, someone had already got it and given it on. There is some question as to the veracity of the confession given the low character of the informant. Some of what Jack Price alleges is all wrong, particularly around the murder itself, how it took place, as in the shooting in the street and reservoir, and whilst a few facts were corroborated, he's also reportedly, reportedly a truth stretcher of the highest order. <laughs> Best kind. Enter, stage left, Lawyer X. Yes. Oh. You heard yeah. me right. So for our international listeners, Lawyer X, whose real name is Nicola Gobbo, was a defence barrister who represented many of the gangland personalities and who police used as an informant after she had been found in possession of narcotics when she was studying law in university. She would gain the trust of the criminals she was defending and feed that info to the police as an informant, which is, of course, wholly unethical and has allowed many of her former clients to petition for their cases to be overturned. She would also contact various people of interest and tell them that other contacts were informing on them to get them to talk, which she would then report back to police. And there's an endless amount of stuff you can read about this. The final reports of Operation Briars are available if you, if anyone is interested to read them on the, well, I think, just look up police inquiries or whatever and you'll find it. I can't remember the name of the website. But that's where I got some of this information from. 
Nicola was deployed to try and get more information to make the confession stick. So everyone knows that this bloke, right, Jack Price, Mr Gregory, whatever his real name is, firstly he's doing time because he's killed other people. So he's a professional hitman and he's by this time he's already got a life sentence, I think, and he's doing time. He's taken – he came out in 2005. Shane was killed in 2002, I think. So it's taken years to come out to say, oh, yeah, I was involved in it. And part of that, some of that is to do with the changing alliances that happen in this period of time as well. So one point I'm friends with Gangitano, but now he's knocked off. So now I've got to have a different alliance with Mockbell or whoever. I'm, making, I'm not making up names. These are people, but, not, you know, I'm just yeah. Carl, Williams, Carl Williams, the Morans. Yeah, yeah, be. yeah. So you kind of think, well, you know, what, what's in it for him? But there was a fair amount in it for him actually. Anyway. They're trying to get they get their number one favorite informant who's deeply embedded in all of this gangland culture, being Nicola Gobbo, otherwise known as Lawyer X, otherwise known as is it informant three eight nine eight or something, five eight. She's got some other number. She's got yeah. a few numbers. So Dirty girl. <laughs> the police used her to help them fit this story up so that they could solve the crime, while the hitman was given a series of incentives to get the story right even though he'd made these errors and the errors he made kind of makes reasonable people doubt that actually what he was saying was quite true. Some of those things were like um, tax breaks and it wasn't so much about getting time off serve, but there was a whole series of things that he asked for and made demands and he was really eking it out and giving them bits and bits bits of piece of information at a time because he knew he kind of had them in a um, over a barrel. Because when this mm. first happened, no one in Reza had seen, like there were no witnesses. There was there was just no evidence. There was nothing to go on to try and find these two hitmen who had killed, apart from Kathleen seeing them. But, you know, she I think one of them knocked her over and then punched the dad up. You know, you could imagine it was a pretty fast and furious kind of attack. Mm. The investigation, yeah, as I said, completely stalled. So they were basically busting to get some information and they really wanted to close this case and close it out because they were in damage control with this whole corruption piece as well. Yeah, and also at the time there was all, as you said, the gangland warfare and so to actually be able to close out cases quickly I think was important because, it, you know, th those killings were happening in public places at footy grounds. And, yeah, you know, the, oh, the kids, kids football, what's it called? Little League. No, it wasn't. Yeah, the Auskick. Auskick, that's it. Down behind the cross keys, two of them were shot yeah, in, yeah. The, in the in a car in front of the children. Yeah, I was drinking. I was drinking at a pub in Brunswick two nights before the double murder in that pub. It was pretty rough. Was that Lewis Moran? I think he he yeah. was killed in Brunswick. Yeah, and and Carla yeah. Lewis Moran. They just walked in five o'clock in the bang, afternoon done. and just shot two people and then walked out. in the bar. Yeah, Lewis Moran walked and out. one yeah. of his. It was pretty brazen. One of his. Bodyguards or friends minions. or minions. But, yeah, so Swanee, the Morans and the Williams originally kind of worked together but then they, they got into a feud. One of Carl Williams's guys would knock off a Moran and then there'd be a retaliation oh. killing and it just went on and on and on. It's all very mobstery and but yet happening in downtown Melbourne. It was all very weird. Anyway. Does that continue to happen or is it no. all? Well, actually, no. we no, just yeah. had a murder in <laughs> Melbourne two nights ago in South Yarra, which Ooh. does have yeah. uh, underworld connections apparently, but I've got no oh. further information as to whether it's the same gangland type thing or a new gang, yep. you know, could be new ones. And it's happening in Sydney at the moment now. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sydney's got a good mm. history of it too. Four years after the confession, Mark Perry. Wake up to yourself, Perry. The ex-boyfriend. Evangelius. Gooses, otherwise known as Ange Gooses, and Warren Shea. Evangelius yes, Gooses. Yes, sorry, yes, it was um, Penny's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were arrested and charged for organising the murder. Mark Perry had been hiding out in WA but was found in 2013 and extradited to Victoria to stand trial. Nicola had meetings with Ange Gooses and also tried to get info out of the ex-cop Waters but he was hip to her pretty early on, knowing that he was the subject of an investigation under Operation Briars, so he didn't fall for it. That's what I was going to say, right? So the task force Purana was the task force set up to basically investigate all these related murders to do with the gangland stuff. 
And yeah, the gangland stuff. Operation yeah. Briars. The reason Operation Briars sort of investigated Shane's murder was because it was very much about the police corruption angle of it. So some people at the time argued that uh, it should have just fallen into Task Force Piranha and should have just stayed there. But there was this whole, like Simon Overland was the uh, police commissioner mm. at the time. He'd taken over from Christine Nixon and he was, you know, very keen to make this all sort of clean this all up. And so there, that's why this Operation Briars came through. There was a statement from Nicola that Gooses had confessed to being involved, but it was never entered into evidence. And later she said it had been added to a statement and she'd never said it. So you start to see this picture of the informant giving unreliable information or people doctoring statements that the informant is alleged to have made. You've got a hitman who's in jail who's just having a wonderful time gaming the system basically and saying, yeah, I did it. Uh, and then you've got these corrupt policemen out there saying nothing to see here. You know, we might be a bit dodgy but nothing to see here. So it's really difficult to, to get to a point of kind of saying, we can pinpoint what really happened here. The prosecution alleged that the three, being Gooses, Perry and Shay, had organised the hit on Shane as a revenge for what he had done to Penny. But the defence rolled out their star witness, who was the actual hitman, Jack Price, in the dock and said, no, I did it. It was a favour. I did it. So unsurprisingly, all three were acquitted of the charge of murder and manslaughter because basically it was all based on the confession of a man who was a massive truth stretcher and the complete and total lack of, lack of actual evidence beyond his confession and basically some gossip mongering from Lawyer X. So much reasonable doubt. Oh, you couldn't you couldn't convict them, you know, you really couldn't. So interestingly, mm. Ange Gooses was and still is doing time when the trial was on for murdering Lewis Moran of all people in Brunswick. So in the pub you were drinking, <laughs> yeah. Although he denies this, and that's a whole other story related to another very dangerous person. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Price was convicted of the murder in a subsequent hearing, which I can find no evidence of. Um, also in the police statements, he's, as I said, called Mr Gregory. And I think because he's got a made-up name and I don't know who he really is, it's pretty difficult to look for made-up name, I don't know who he is, versus the Crown. So this is another case with no real conclusion as to who done it. Uh, we're left with not knowing if Shane attacked Penny, but I don't think he did. The cutting of her tongue to me was symbolic oh. of a warning to not talk. All right. In yeah. my mind, it, it, that's that's very intimate and it's very violent yeah. and it could be related to the debt, the money that she owed to someone else. Like it could have just been someone deciding to have a crack at her. Is she still around now? I don't, yeah, but I don't know who she is because she's been protected with anonymity okay. as well. Some people, she declines, generally she declines to interview, uh, to give interviews uh-huh. or anything. All the media reports paint Shane as some sort of weirdo who thought he was a vampire, which is obviously why he, and by the way, Wiggers, come up in a search for vampire crimes. And whilst he had an interest in the occult, this really wasn't what he was about. He was just a hustler trying to make a life for himself and got caught up with all the wrong people. I had heard of the case, but until I started reading up on it, I had no idea about the associations with the gangland wars, with Lawyer X and the murky oh, waters really? of police corruption. No, I didn't really follow the, the Nicola Gobbo thing. It was very complicated. So did Jack Price kill Shane? I've no idea. Possibly not. But then again, possibly. And I only say that because why else did he bother to walk into the Paran police station on that day and report himself for driving offences when... There was no need to do that. So that that's the only thing that makes sense to me, that maybe he was involved, maybe he did do it. Andrew's still in jail. Warren Shea got done for building a massive drug lab near Macedon recently. And Mark Perry has gone very quiet in the news. Nothing contemporary on him that I could find anywhere. So this was a rabbit hole of a case of the highest order and I've left a shed ton out because otherwise I'd be here all night and I am very conscious of the boys wanting to go out and have some lovely time in Milan. But if this has piqued your interest, I highly recommend Adam Shan's podcast. Over to you guys. It is actually something that you could, you could do, do a whole forever. series on that whole gangland stuff at the time. Yeah, it's, it's too very, complex. Very, very complex. Yeah, yeah. So, so I started this whole thing, right, going, ha, 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 vampire, lighthearted, ha, ha, ha. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the middle of underbelly. It's bizarre. Of the, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> So this was early 2000s. Tilly, when yeah. did the Nicola Gobbo thing come out? When was that? Mid-2000s or? 
I think it was about 20, nah, 2018, I reckon. Okay, okay. Not a It was much, much Much later. later. So there was was a lot of investigation and I think Mm -hmm. the investigation might have started in possibly 2014, as in the reports of it. So there was stuff coming out then and then it stopped for, I don't know, I think four or five years or something from my recollection. But I think, Schmidty, to your point, it was based on things that happened in that gangland warfare where there were just, you know, when when I think when investigative journalists went looking, they came up against a wall that didn't make any sense or, you know, heard a rumour of something that they couldn't find anything more on. And so it took a long time for them to start to join the dots and go, something is really going on here. And I think that connection was made in possibly 2014 okay. from memory. 30th of November 2020. Nicole oh, there Bobo you go. 2020, she was first revealed. revealed. Get, no, get out of town. But I reckon it can't. But well, she, that would be yeah, in not the was, of, but she, she, in the middle of COVID or the beginning of COVID. Well, just. Oh, no, no sorry, third, after COVID. Third, yeah, so November she. Off. But, but the, the, the scandal came out at least 12 months before that, I reckon. They didn't name her for quite some time. Right. So, so it, it was, was just lawyer X. Lawyer X for a long yeah, time. Yeah. And then we all knew it was Nicola Gobbo. Well, we certainly knew it was Nicola Gobbo from when it was first Lawyer X, but it took a while for that to come out right. publicly because I think there was a lot of legal suppression, so you couldn't say anything about who it was in the media because if she, there was a whole lot of talk about her potentially getting killed either by the police slash you know, legal fraternity or by some of her clients who she'd done the dirty on. So they, they couldn't say a thing and then she left the country and now she's hiding somewhere and God. threatening to sue the government again. Yeah, she works out of money. Yeah, Yeah. so they, there was That's a insane. lot of media coverage in 2018 and 19, but it's, you're right, her identity was subject to a suppression order. She was called informer 3838 or lawyer X or EF at okay. that time. Yeah. And then in December 2018, Dan Andrews, the Premier, ordered the Royal Commission into the management of police informants. Right. And it was after that. Yeah. That in, yeah. yeah, right, in 2020 is when she was named. How did she become? What's the drug connection? What happened? When she was at university. How did she become an informant? When she was, when she was yeah, at uni. So she's from a very well-connected family, right? They're all in the law profession. Right? So she's mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So she was always yeah. going to be big yeah. in the legal okay. world. world. So right. she and was found with drugs at, at uni. Yeah, and Twice, rather think. than that come out, not just for herself. Yeah, I think you might be right, but but what do you say? Uh, no, I think it I, I think twice. it was for herself. It was for uh, herself, but because she was she was doing yeah. law, right? Who she was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I suppose who she but, was. Yeah. But so yeah, yeah. So the trade off was that they won't go public with it. They won't yeah. charge her with anything if yeah. she becomes an informant for them. That's your whole so career, right your whole then, future career, because is of. Because of the pressure on her to be a really successful lawyer, yeah. had, she, had it come out that she was doing drugs, that would have That's ruined it. all End of, of that. Career. So yeah. she went with it and said, all right, and became an informant from that point, then went on and became a lawyer. And, you know, Jeepers. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Barrister. It really is. So and extraordinary. So she was representing... Criminal, yeah, but Carl also Williams, she represented yeah. high profile, um, high profile gangland, yeah. Map Bell, yeah, Mac yeah. Bell, maybe Ghetto, I'm not sure. And then she was also telling the police everything they were telling police her. what was going on. So, you know, you go in and you have this lawyer and defendant the privilege. privilege. Yeah. Not with yeah. her, yep. She was writing it all down, she was recording mm-hmm. it in some instances and just taking yeah. it straight back to the police. So, wow. there's no client and then, as confidentiality. You said, saying, yeah. you know. This person's singing like a canary when they weren't. That's right. So you should sing like a canary. Oh, right. and that's what okay. she did just... with Gooses in this case. She basically went in and said, "Oh, someone, either Perry or Shay, were yeah. Oh, they, they're, they're dobbing yeah. you in, and yeah. you know he's in jail, so yeah. he's got no way of knowing if this is true yeah. or not. And so he's like, "No, it wasn't me. It was them." <laughs> Say that to you, you know. Um, and that was also interesting about that policeman who who knew immediately she was being fed lines of inquiry from wow. Operation Briars about him, and so yeah. he shut her down immediately. How how is she still alive? Because she's, she's on. She's high, quoted she's as saying high. she's more frightened so, of the police yeah, than she is her ex clients. Really, she yeah, thinks yeah. the police are more dangerous oh, to her. Yeah. yeah. This is so heavy. That's awful. Yep. 
Mm. What a mucked up life. And what about all her relatives and stuff? Are they all still in Melbourne? I suppose they are, are they? I don't know. I assume so. Just distance themselves from her. Bloody Victorians. So bad. So bad. Bloody Victorians. (laughs) Mexicans. How did you get to that? (laughs) So the people within the police force who orchestrated this and then continued to know that that's what she was doing. Oh, they got in trouble, yeah. Have they been accountable? I don't know that they've they've even got to the bottom of that because there's a whole lot of chicken and egg. So, you uh-huh. know, you're saying she wouldn't have known she's going to be representing these people. There's yeah. there's potential for that to have been orchestrated. True, true. You know, right. so yeah, that yeah, yeah. she's, she's she being to. put in front of these people. Yeah. And, Far yeah. out. Can you imagine the stress, you know, though? She was obviously going to be a good lawyer anyway. She had 10 but, years of incredible stress. But, and that's yeah. the thing, right? Hundred percent, and she sort of yeah. brazened it out a lot too for a long time. I, I mean, I don't know her, but I just from what mm. I saw in the press and whatever, even the interview she's given and that, she sort of brazens it out. And I just think, far out. I think I have the odd bad day at work, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, right? Well, yeah. Isn't it? Oh gosh, imagine yeah. that. So sentencing for me, whoever cut her tongue off. It's a, it's a hard. I'm, I'm going one. for whoever cut her tongue off has to have something. You know, just as horrendous, like cut off. Oh, no, you know, like I go, I go back to the yeah, the old um, medieval glass rod. Me, no, not glass rod, but the medieval, you know, torches and tongue hot holder, pin, hot pincers on the tongue, and yeah, that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, right. Nasty, nasty and tongue branding. Because that is nasty. Like that woman to have a whole chunk of your tongue taken out is going to affect your speech, and you're going to be traumatized oh, forever. Yes. You know, and mm. whatever it is that she's. They felt that she did to deserve that. She didn't. So I'm all right with no, them. Get whoever right. they are, you know, getting some real serious retribution on that. I think this is the hard thing with the sentencing for it. Who, like, who actually did? You know, who, who do you Whoever hold accountable had the idea. for? It? Because you know, people died. People got. Yeah, I can't name them. But who? Who is that? It's them. it's hard. But whoever thought it was a brilliant idea hmm. to make a mockery of the justice system by putting a person in a position where they had to inform and break client privilege, uh, regardless of who they were defending, because, you know, they could have been defending someone who actually was innocent. And the the flip side of it is, is Swanee particularly that because of the people that she effectively broke the law about because she did this, they have the right to then have their well, to to have another day yeah. in court to determine whether or not they should be that those crimes should you know those trials should be overturned. Correct. Yeah. So you could end up with these people back on the streets who shouldn't be because they were running around killing each other. It's very complicated. I know. Mm. I misrepresented. Well, you could go to the Carl Williams and get mm. a bike seat out. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what you're about to say, but I don't think you want to know. Well, Carl, Carl Williams was one of these I know that monsters. Yeah. And he went to jail and he was murdered in jail by another inmate who beat him to death. Oh. Not the bike, there, but part of the bike. In the bike seat off the gym. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the, the yeah. pole that holds the seat on because they're quite resourceful in jail. Just, just bringing it back to Shane Chartres Abbott. Oh, Abbott. 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 It's it's almost like a case of mm. the boy who cried wolf, and I, and I think that because if he's running around saying I'm going to expose this or I'm going to bring this all to light, potentially he did know the the whole scandal that was about to come out, or you know it was going to come out years mm. later. Potentially he didn't. If he's talking about something less sinister than what was going on, he's been killed for it. That's pretty rough. But if he is actually threatening to bring it to light, it's a bad defence strategy to think you're going to get off. Yeah, you, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have said anything until you back. had your day in court to say whatever you needed to say. I, either, either say yeah, don't, it. Don't go around don't, saying don't, I'm yeah. going to say it. <laughs> but don't yeah. threaten to. Let that be a lesson. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, there was something very big going on. And let's face it, whilst it was sort of towards the tail end, that was happening all the time. So it's not like it, it it's not like it was a surprise it was, outcome. Absolutely. No, that was a little bit naive, wasn't it? And and so him saying he's he's worried about his life was, you know. And I know quite we sound legit, like we're victim but... blaming, but yeah, he did put a target on himself, yeah. I find the whole mm. thing utterly terrifying. Yeah. No, I know. But, but it's also... really because Yeah. Because it does involve you know, the legal fraternity and 
the police and at you know the very root of it there it's the powers that you should be yes. able to trust yeah oh my god let alone yeah. all the you know you, if i look at that as two separate yeah. entities versus underworld figures and then you go oh actually everyone's in cahoots together i find that terrifying that's worse it really yeah. is it's yeah. like i don't then then the, there's no that's bad isn't it it's who, who are the good guys if the good guys are the bad guys, yeah, everybody's a bad guy. Correct. It's very, yeah. very Correct. unnerving to think that that, you know, it feels like it should yeah. happen in a movie, not in Australian society. And to know that yeah. it has is very, Agreed. very. Well, just like the judge said, just, it's been a difficult trial and yeah. it's been a difficult trial for all parties, including myself. <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. Because yeah. I could have been linked to this. I, I wonder too about the, the snuff film, right? So if let's say he did know about what was going on. It's a very good way of getting rid of someone like that to, to go, you know, there's a, because because now that he knows, we, well we make need some him money dead out of it and therefore and let's. set him up, yeah. Well, well, I think more so let's just do it as a snuff film so that it'll. Kill it'll two birds put, with one um, stone. The blame somewhere in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, no one will suspect a legal fraternity for that because it's a snuff film and so it's got something to do with the porn industry yeah. or, you know, whatever and it I might think- be. The other pretty clever. group of people who we've talked about on many occasion, the bloody media, you know, because this this story, when you first, <laughs> the, the countless yeah, articles you read on it are nothing more than Melbourne's vampire gigolo and, and he was really into the occult and he was, yeah, yeah. and he had a kit bag with dildos and handcuffs. <laughs> it's like this whole salacious storytelling. Yeah. And then it sort of all fizzled out because... That wasn't where the story was, and that's why Adam Shand has done an exceptionally good job of really investigating this to point out that that's not where the story is. So you're going to mm. sentence, going to do anything, or you don't have to. <sighs> I know you're in holiday mode. I think, again, <laughs> hard, hard to find who to sentence. I, I do think that, that if you've got a threat to make about the people who are coming after you, perhaps don't sing it to the media. So, you know, coming back to Shane, he probably didn't Victim play blamer. that well. <laughs> I wouldn't want to, s- well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can you can say that, but I, I wouldn't want to sentence other, him for it because he, well, I think that I, probably more so, you know, if there's a lesson to learn from his perspective, that's it, you know. Um, but they call it a public just, service announcement. If you find yourself in this situation. That, yeah, so if you do find yourself in that situation, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Don't do just it. Just keep your lips, you know, loose lips don't, and yeah. chips and get your shot. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe find another way of, of subtly, you yeah. know, dealing with it. But but that wasn't Under what Under oath, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you about the, the tongue slasher. That, you know, they need, they need something pretty... Oh, I hate that whole, you know, retribution. I mean, I mean that's that's the way approach. that's just, that's what I foul. have read into it. It might not have been, but yeah, yeah. And and to to Jack Price, just just be better, <laughs> mate. You know, you, you are a shit bloke, whether you murdered him or not. Hitman, like what yeah, the fuck? You know, it's a job. Go and go and get a real job. Can't you find a more dignified way of earning money, a living? Like you know, apparently you could earn up to two hundred grand for a hit. So you know, it's good money. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not wanting you to sell me the benefits of it or the positives. I think it's a, it's a shit job. I didn't like outbounding when I was at Foxtel, and I threatened to quit that job because I didn't like it. If someone said, "Hi, we've got a job as a hitman no, for no, you," thanks. thank no. you, but no, thank you. Look, I've given it. I've given it. No, some I'm going to pass on that. But no, yeah. yeah, it's not right for me at this point of my career. All right, Swanee, are you just too traumatized? I'm too scared to say anything, to be honest. I mean that. <laughs> I don't want to say booze. Wickers ain't yeah. got nothing on this lot, right? No, and again, I mean that seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I think we'll leave that one because, you know, it, we're uh, just trying to keep ourselves out of trouble. <laughs> it's a bit. It's all a bit heavy, and yeah, Swanee's yes. always airing on the side of caution, which Correct. is probably the safest of all things. The boys are in Milan, so they feel safe, but of course they're, they're in the home of the yeah, modern. Yeah. So hey, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. All right, well, <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks for listening Ooh. to that, and as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao. Well done, Ciao. darling. Ciao. 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 Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. 
Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com trial by wine or visit our website www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.